0: episode 51 of between two blue devils features miss kathleen gallagher for the past six years she has been working at talmage city schools as our english language learner teacher throughout the week she navigates from talmage elementary to talmage middle school to talmage high school she spends her time working with close to 200 students who are learning English as a second language. She has the unique opportunity to bridge many cultures together, helping her students and all students to find the universals. She helps all of us see what we have in common rather than focus on the differences. You're gonna enjoy this episode. So whatever you may be doing, driving home from work, walking across campus, or sitting around enjoying a cup of coffee, turn up the volume. And get to know Miss Kathleen Gallagher. Welcome back to another edition of Between Two Blue Devils. This is episode 51. Thanks for checking out episode 50 and all the positive feedback that we've gotten on that episode it certainly was exciting and the person i'm interviewing today is another uh, very special guest and exciting guest someone that many of you may not even know works here for talmage city schools Uh, to be honest with you uh, she and i our relationship is is new and it's expanding and up until this year i never knew what exactly she did what part of our student body who she represented, and then the history and the, the story behind who she is. So I'm excited to share her story with you. Uh, it is my privilege to introduce to you Mrs. Kathleen Gallagher.
1: Thank you. Yeah. It's nice to be here.
0: Well, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> sure. So I, I am very thankful that you're taking time to uh, to spend time with our listeners and to share your story. And, and let's just begin right there. Okay. Begin by just sharing with us, who are you?
1: Who am I? <laughs> oh, I think you asked some of the other people that... Um, well, I'm a lot of things, actually. I'm a Gemini, so that's probably, I've got like two sides to me. Um, but I guess I would say I'm, um, kind of a creative and curious person about life. Um, I'm a mother, I'm a grandmother, I'm a teacher, I'm a poet, I'm a writer. Wasn't there a song? Uh, There's a (laughs) song. There's a a song. (laughs) (laughs) I can't remember, uh, something about Carpenter or something, I don't know, like that, but, um, um, that's the beginning, so what would you like to know about any of those parts?
0: Well, you know, let's let's go ahead and kind of look at all of the different hats that you wear okay, and your different hobbies. So let's begin with uh, your role as, as a mom.
1: As a mom. Yeah. Well, I was a stay-at-home mom, so I didn't get into teaching until later on. Uh, I was married to an engineer, and so, you know, we were able to, I was able to stay home and take care of my children. Um, I was one of those kind of mothers who would always um, try to find, like, unusual um things to do with my children they liked kind of um odd things like watching a building get torn down with by the you know <laughs> all the machinery and everything and we'd get a pack of lunch and they just thought that they just thought it was kind of interesting because you know i used to find um uh, unusual kind of things to look at instead of spending money or yeah. you know um, what other kind of mom I am I? Well, it's
0: kind of funny you would say that as, as a form of entertainment. I was reading this morning uh, in Ryan Holiday's book, The Obstacle is the Way, uh-huh. and he told the story of Thomas Edison when his factory, his laboratory burnt down. Uh-huh. Instead of panicking uh, uh-huh. and and thinking that the world was coming uh-huh. to an end, he actually told uh it was one of his workers or oh, one of his kids that yeah. hey quick go get your mom and the kids <laughs> let's watch this fire we're never going to see a fire like this ever again that's, that's you know great. so it was kind of how he yeah. overcame that obstacle so it, your story just kind of reminded me of well, that i
1: wouldn't even have thought of that but i think that's a wonderful um example of what i'm saying you know because i think i'm always um and that's part of being like a poet too mm-hmm. and someone who likes creative things we tend to look at the um all kinds of things that happen in the world in life and it's not always positive mm-hmm. things. Um, but, uh, yeah, people have a tendency to want to f- look at the um, the odd or the, you know, the disastrous stuff um, or the beautiful things, but, you know, there's curiosity I think that most sure. people have, yeah. you know, and I, and I like that.
0: where where do you think that curiosity and we'll get back to you know meeting the rest of your family but you know while we're talking where where does that curiosity come from
1: where does it come from i don't think everybody has it innately yeah Uh, i think it's something that you kind of um, it's modeled somebody Hmm. has modeled it for you i believe i mean i think we do have like the you know we want to know what's that apple taste like you know i mean we have the biological urge to like look at things and and understand things but but mental and psychological I think that that's a little bit different I think that you watch somebody say like today I was working with a student um, and she doesn't speak any English whatsoever and her teacher said here read this poem now tell me what you think about it mm-hmm. um, but she needed a little bit more prompt so I pulled her aside and I helped her um, you know look at the poem and the poem was very simple I picked a poem out for her that was more simple and it was about the moon and it was like eight lines maybe. And um, the moon is universal.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so you can look at the moon and you can just think, oh, that's just the moon. But if you have somebody model in your life, you know, they sit there and they say, wow, I have never seen such a beautiful moon. And when I look at the moon, I think of people sleeping. I said that to my student and she kind of laughed.
2: Hmm.
1: And then she uh, translated and wrote what she thought about the moon. And she just said, Marveloso, I think, Marveloso the world around me, the people around me, you know, and so she had a different um, impression of the moon, but I kind of modeled it for her first. Mm-hmm. So I think my mother probably was the person who was the model, you know, for a lot of curiosity in my life. Yeah, wow. I would say she probably was.
0: In what ways did she model that for you?
1: Well, she was, I'm the oldest of five children, and um, there were eight of us living in a household, and my grandfather lived with us. and. Um, she would do f- such funny things. Like, we didn't have a whole lot of money. My dad was a red truck driver. And um, so she was really creative with money and decorating. She liked to decorate. So she would do things like, um, one time she found some bushel baskets, and she made lamps out of them, and she put, like, uh, gingham decorations on the bottom and, um, and and made a lampshade. And we were raised Catholic. And so a priest came over one day, and he was like, oh, what did you do? And she said, I made, I made lampshades out of bushel baskets. He said, don't you know in the Bible it says don't put your light under a bushel basket? <laughs> <laughs> but um, she just laughed, and we, oh, we oh, laughed wow. about that. But um, it, she just was able to make things out of nothing, you know, yeah. and so her imagination was kind of like that too. Wow. Um, so definitely, definitely probably mod- my, had my mother model some of that curiosity for life and looking at things in a different way, Mm -hmm. that's even more important. It's like everybody can look at something and say the same thing about it, but she always found a way to see something unique Mm -hmm. about things, and then I kind of learned to do that from her, I think.
0: Okay. Wow. I I don't want to jump too far ahead in our interview, but when I look at all of the things that you've been involved in, Uh um, I think curiosity is one of the, the highlights of everything that you do. I mean, you're, you are very yeah. curious and you spark curiosity. Yeah. And, uh, and, I, and I have been very curious yeah. to hear more about you know, your story. So yeah. this is, it's interesting to hear you highlight that yeah. and how your mom modeled that for you. So where, where, where did you grow up?
1: Um, I grew up in Ashtabula the river of many fish in, in um, Indian yeah. that's what it means okay. the river of many fish and it's an hour and a half east of Cleveland the snow belt the more snow than you can ever even imagine except if you went to Canada hmm. and um, so you know we grew I grew up next to the lake the the Lake Erie was less than a mile in any direction from my house so I could just get on a bicycle and, and and ride my bike down to the beach hmm. Um we used to walk across the ice, crazy, but, um, you know, there were ice fishermen. We knew kind of when the ice was frozen, but it still wasn't a real smart thing to yeah, do. Yeah. That kind of curiosity, you know, oh, killed a yeah. cat, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, But, but um, yeah, Ashtabula, Ohio. Okay. It, it has a lot of tragedy to that city. That's a whole podcast right there talking about Ashtabula. Um, I went to school with a uh, boy that was on uh, Edmund Fitzgerald, the hmm. boat that went yeah. down. Um, they had a huge train accident, uh, I think, in the late 1800s, something like that, um, and they just made a movie out of it. So, oh, really? So it's a beautiful, beautiful city. It's a um, port city. It used to be one of the largest um, ports that brought in a lot of a um, lot more ships and and um, different um, the iron and ore and all that kind of thing mm-hmm. um, for many decades, and then now it's not. Quite such a you know huge port, but um, but it was beautiful and it was also cold. Mm-hmm. You know, so there was two sides to it. So hmm. That was like most of my life has two sides. Huh? <laughs> yeah.
0: That's the poetic side coming out of yeah. you there. So yeah, and yeah. and I noticed. Um, well, I just love your. Desire to uh, kind of capture Ashtabula's history in oh, poetry because yeah. oh, I read yeah, some of your work. Yeah,
1: yeah. and I think I, was, I, you know, I was I was raised. Uh, I mean, I was I went to school with Connie Schultz. She was uh, she she won a Pulitzer Prize for her um, uh, journalism, and her husband, Sherrod Brown. So we were on the literary magazine together. Okay. So. Um, she was always more of a storyteller, so she went into journalism, but I always handled a lot of the poetry stuff, and mm-hmm. the poetry, you know, and nonfiction was interesting, but, um, um, yeah, the, the Panthers, that was the name of our, um, football team. Okay. Yeah, the Black Panthers, wherever they got that name, but, um, but the building's no longer there. Ashtabula High school is gone, you know, they tore it down, it's like a very old building. Um, an older city, like Talmadge is pretty old, Mm -hmm. I think too. Oh yeah. It's got a lot of heritage to it.
0: So when you were in high school, what did you want to do with your life?
1: I didn't like high school. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We had kind of a uh, a little bit of a struggle in our lives growing up and, um, but I think I always knew I was smart. Mm -hmm. Um, But again, to go back to role models, you didn't really have a role model. Neither of my parents went to college. Uh, My father delivered bread and my mother was a housewife. Mm -hmm. And um, so I think my favorite classes were the creative writing class. Um, But I didn't study college prep. Um, Oddly enough, I went to a Catholic school for nine years, and then I switched to public. Um, So I was kind of a mediocre student, really. I, don't, I think that, I mean, I had a lot of dreams and ideas inside, but um, it wasn't really uh, encouraged. And, and not because my parents didn't know how to encourage it, because, you know, the curiosity thing was there. Mm-hmm. But they didn't have the tools to understand how do you get ahead? How do you, you know, what do you do next to figure out if you're going to go to college? Or, you know, they didn't have that experience. So for me, it was kind of, um, just kind of went through high school. I mean, the literary magazine was a good thing. I was in drama. That was fun. Okay. Um, but other than that, I didn't really have any goals for college. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't until I graduated that I started thinking, you know, I don't want to, because we had a lot of factories and that kind of thing. I said, mm-hmm. I'm not going to work. I've written poems about factories. Mm-hmm. You know, I said, I'm not going to work in a factory the rest of my life. So I started going back to um, I went to school at Kent, uh, Ashtabelle okay. campus branch, All right. um, and I started studying uh, criminal justice. Oh, really? Oh, I didn't tell that part. Oh, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> heard i better not go down so, that road. <laughs> I worked for police department for four years while I was going to college. Really? Yeah, okay. Yeah, fingerprinted uh, female criminals and, um, and uh, uh, ca- taxi cab drivers, and I drove the cars around to get them washed. And um, I had to wear, I had a really ugly green uniform. <laughs> uh, it was a very strange job. I was a crime prevention officer. Um, but then I got married and moved to Southern Ohio, and uh, just they didn't have a criminal justice program, so I went into psychology. So really? I started my college degree with psychology. Okay. Yeah. Got a two-year degree in psychology. Went on for a four-year degree, but switched to education, because I remembered... The things I liked in high school yeah. was great of writing and literature and yeah. English, you know, so I majored in uh, secondary education, 7 through 12, uh, English. Okay. That was my beginning. Uh,
0: for a moment, I dabbled in psychology as well, ah, which is why I'm certified to teach psychology. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and then from psychology and sociology to history, yeah. and then, in, you know, in yeah. education.
1: I worked at a community college, and I actually um, have my master's in literature and um and I had enough psychology because I almost had a bachelor's in mm-hmm. psychology. With them, And then with the master's, um, they let me teach an introduction to psychology. I really wasn't really qualified f- right. for, for the college teaching, but it was a private school. So it was fun. It's a great
0: topic to teach.
1: Yeah, it's awesome topic to teach. I thought maybe I'd be a psychologist, but... Uh, A teacher is next best.
0: (laughs) (laughs) As a teacher, you are a psychologist. psychologist. Just not getting the pay. (laughs) No, no. So, so you uh, then you decided to go into education and you you started teaching right after graduation, or?
1: Oh no, Um, I um, had my children. Um, I went to school. It took me like forever to finish my secondary education degree because I was raising my kids. Mm Um so I um switched education. I, I think when I graduated, um my kids were already let's mm, see. I think my son was 10 and my daughter was about 6 and I started subbing through the Akron Public Schools. Okay. So that was my first teaching gig. All right. Um and then I worked for St. Vincent St. Mary's mm-hmm. and um for a couple of years, and then I went and got, went back to school and got my master's degree in literature. Okay. You know, I always had people telling me when I des- decided in high school what I wanted to do, I said, I like English. And they're like, what are you going to do with that? You know, a four-year degree in English is pretty, you know, yeah. it's pretty difficult to find work. But that's why I added the education, because I'd never thought about being a teacher. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I didn't have dreams of being a teacher since I was, you know, Although I did pretend I was a nun, <laughs> 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 and we, you know, we used to, we would have the ruler and we okay go around smacking them, hands and everything exactly. <laughs> so because so, I we went to a Catholic school, obviously that's kind of you know <laughs> what you do is role play. <laughs>
0: well, be, before we move into your teaching career, we've kind of gone full circle back to uh, tell us a little bit about your kids.
1: My children. Oh yeah, my son is he he's something. He's my oldest. Um, He lives in North Carolina right now, but he's been all over the world, Um, and he's a minimalist and doesn't believe in owning things, although he does have real estate. He was a Bitcoin miner for a while, so he made a little bit of money, and um, so he's bought some property and now he's doing coding, computer coding, he's making video games. Half the stuff he does, I don't understand. <laughs> I went to his house. He had a part, well, his apartment in Arizona. He, he had a house in Arizona for a while. And then um, he um, had a room full of um, computers. I mean, it, it was room about the size of the room we're in now. And it, the whole thing was packed with computers, and that's what you, that's what you do with the Bitcoin. Yeah, money. you're
0: mining Ethereum and yeah, all that other but, stuff. Um,
1: and then my daughter, and um, so my son has never married. He doesn't have any children or anything yet. But he's got a great life. He just got back from Latvia. It's like not that far from... He called me on the phone, and I said, how close are you to Russia? <laughs> and he said, about 50 minutes. And he oh, said, wow. but Mom, they won't let us in. And I said, no, but you're still too close. Too, that's too close for traveled, comfort right yeah. there, yeah. <clears throat> um, my daughter lives in... Magador. Okay. So she's closer to home. And she married a Magadoran, I guess you would call him. I don't know. We call ourselves so. um And she studied um, design and art. Okay. And she's a designer and a sales. Um, she's actually in charge of sales, but she's not a salesperson. But she does designing, too, for okay. a... I can't think of the name of the c- company now. She's going to kill me. That's um, an office uh, kind of place where you like for schools hospitals where you put in the furniture and that kind of thing okay and so she had a cool experience uh they called up one day someone uh, from hollywood called uh, the company she worked at and said uh they needed a um person to put furniture in a for a for a movie that was on television that was uh, what was his name um I can't think of the actor now, but it was a movie about psychologists, and all the psychologists hmm. had mental illness. i was I was fascinated with this, you know with especially sure. having the interest in sure. psychology. And all the psychologists on this um, show had mental illnesses, so they wanted to put the make their offices look like their mental illness.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> so, she, wow. Um, oh, I'm trying to think. of So they hired longer. the
0: company out of Mogador. they hired my daughter. You're, 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 hired your daughter well, through it? the company. Yeah,
1: and she designed the way the furniture would look. So, for example, um, somebody who had some kind of psychosis, you know, mental illness, w- would have like. Um, um, a lot of shelves and stuff around uh-huh. him and no windows, window, like paranoid scenes yeah. Windows would be closed and that kind of thing. And um, I was like, are you going to be able to go down to, you know, fly to Hollywood and see all that? But um, that didn't happen. And she has two children, so she's very busy. She yeah. has a 10-year-old and a um, 6-year-old. Oh, actually, I think Adelaide's 11 now, so they're four years apart. And the little one has uh, is a child with Down syndrome, mm-hmm. and she's like our wonderful. She's just the love of our lives. I mean, yeah. she changes everything. Talk about curiosity. Yeah. We can go back to curiosity. She just sees everything in such a wonderful, wonderful light.
0: Yeah. Right but, so. I, uh, I know you shared with me the YouTube video oh, from a few years again. ago. I watched oh, it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> why don't you describe to the audience what happened?
1: Okay. So... There's a part missing that you didn't know. Um, my niece, who's my brother's daughter, she worked, She worked. worked. she's worked at several um, television channels. Um, I'm not sure which one she's at now, but I think this was Channel 5. Um, she let them know about the Down syndrome um, walk that they have every year, and with COVID, they couldn't have it at the zoo. They usually have it at the zoo. So um, she asked my daughter, well, what, what are you going to do? And she said, well, we're just going to have it in the neighborhood. So my niece had Channel Five News come down and take pictures of her walking from their house to I don't remember the name of the park, but it's right mm-hmm. next to Mogador sure. Schools. And um, and everybody was clapping and she was running and, you know, she was only like five or six I think when yeah. she did that. Yeah, it was precious. Yeah. So
0: I'll be sure in the show notes to put the, the link to the video yeah, so yeah. our listeners can check uh-huh. it out. So you're a proud mom and yeah, a proud grandmother. A
1: grandmother. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so then, okay, so then you raise the kids, and yeah. then you decide to get into the classroom. You begin by subbing uh-huh. in Akron Public Schools. Yeah. All right, and, and then Saint, from?
1: St. Vincent, St. Mary's, and then I worked for the University of Akron. Okay. Uh, I went back and got my master's while I was subbing mm-hmm. and teaching. Um, and, uh, well, actually, I subbed, and then I was had a teaching job, but I was getting my master's while I was teaching. Yeah. Um, I was teaching ninth graders, and I was going to school <laughs> full time because I got a full ride scholarship mm-hmm. um, because I was a writer, and they saw some of the things that I wrote, and I think that's how I got my scholarship. So I didn't even pay for a book. Wow. Yeah, you know, to get my master's degree, zero dollars, thanks to the University of Akron believing in me. And so I went to school at night while I was mm-hmm. teaching ninth grade. So can you imagine? <laughs> and then I had kids at home.
0: No, you yeah. had to have been exhausted. Yeah,
1: but it was exciting. So um, And then after I graduated from there, I thought I, I would like to try college. Okay. So I taught for 20 years, college. At the University of Akron? Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Um, so now that became
0: I'd, your full-time job then?
1: Yeah, well, I worked for um, the college in uh, Worcester, uh, not Worcester, um, um, It's not Worcester. Worcester's right down the road. Um, Oroville. Yeah, so for Oroville. So I worked for the branch campus. Yeah, so yeah, that was my job. I drove from Copley to Oroville, you know, five days a week or four days a week or however many days I worked because it changes when you teach college. Yeah. And I was fortunate there because I don't have a PhD in literature, but they allowed me to teach literature because, you know, maybe they couldn't find anybody to drive to Oroville. I don't know. But, you know, they Mm -hmm. had at least something in Mm -hmm. in, um, literature. So I really enjoyed that, and um, taught some poetry writing there, mostly composition. Yeah. And that's, where, that's how I got this job here, by something that happened at the university. Really? Yeah.
0: So what happened?
1: Well, I was working a couple nights a week as a tutor, just to make some extra money for the family, and, um, and I loved working as a tutor. I love one-on-one work mm-hmm. with, with students. And one night, we got a call at the tutoring lab. and Oh, I had worked also a couple classes at the main campus, so Mm -hmm. I taught some business communications classes in the summer. So we get a phone call from um, this company, Global LT. They're an international company, and they help um, people from other countries. Uh, They specifically work with large companies like Goodyear and places like that. So we got a phone call, and they said, we need help. Um, uh, there's a gentleman from uh, Mexico. He speaks Spanish. He also speaks English, but he needed help with some like business um, terminology and you know, okay. idioms, that kind yeah. of thing. And I said, well, Mrs. pay?" And they told me. And I'm like, I'm your girl. So um, I had no experience whatsoever in teaching people from other countries and hmm. other languages. And, but he was very educated, um, so he, that was, it made the first job pretty easy. Sure. Um, but then they started calling me and saying, we have children of these people yep. that need help. Um, the wives need help. And I would get different uh, engineers and, and their families. and So I did that for about three or four years in the evening while I was working for the University of Akron. Mm-hmm. And then, um, but when they started to ask me, do I want to work with children, I thought... I think I better go back and get some more training because their needs were much more difficult than an adult who had some English already. Sure. So um, I went back again to the University of Akron and um, got uh, my TESOL and my TESOL degree. And then one summer I just thought, you know, maybe I'll apply for because at that point, I was teaching a lot of post secondary students. You know, there were high school students. Half my classes were like full of high school kids. Uh-huh. And and plus, the medical is better, you know, in the public schools. Sure. Um, so, um, I just on a whim decided to, you know, try it. So I got interviewed and I got the job like it were, like days after the interview. Here, here at yeah, Talmadge. In Talmadge. And,
0: and how long ago was that? Six years ago. This Six is years. my sixth year. So it's it is interesting because I watch what you do with our ELL students, and it, it it's wonderful um, how you advocate and how you are constantly trying to um, have opportunities for them to to just get involved yeah. and uh, and it's been a beautiful thing to watch and to be a part of. Yeah. Uh, do you speak any languages other than English?
1: Um that's a really common question. Um, and we study a lot of linguistics, mm-hmm. and um, that's where like, the placement of um, sound comes from, and all the different languages is going to be different, even though yeah. we have the same capacity. And so you really, um, unless you're working for a bilingual system or a school that's bilingual, which would be like Arizona, California, Florida... Um, and then even there, though, the bilingualism is only going to be Spanish. So you could still have four or five other languages. Sure. So it's an, almost an impossibility to find somebody who can speak, you know, multiple languages. And so and to make the answer short, um, you really don't need to know any languages if you have linguistic background to teach somebody how to speak hmm. English. Um, I mean, think about it. When you have a baby and you're teaching your baby, you know, how to speak, they might as well be from another country <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because they don't know anything. Yeah. So you yeah. don't have, do you have a degree in, 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 in uh, or do you have a degree in different languages? Can you speak, you know, you speak baby talk. Yeah. So it's kind of the same thing. Um, it's amazing how gifted we are as parents and don't even realize it, you know, that we kind of have a linguistic background because we have our own. We, we know how to talk. Hmm. So we just use what we know to help the help the baby or help the student in the case of being an EL teacher. Yeah.
0: That's so. well, it's really interesting when you talk about the language acquisition of infants. And uh, you probably know Noam Chomsky's work. I remember oh, teaching yeah, yeah, about yeah. him uh-huh. in, uh, yeah. in our psychology class and just talking about huge, yeah. h- how it's picked up. And, and you're right. You know, I, I never really even thought about how brilliant parents are as teachers. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they're they're teaching and not even realizing exactly. just, it's just a natural... A natural fit for them, which yeah. is oftentimes what I think about when I see you, especially with our, our Nepalese population uh-huh. yeah. here it's it's a growing population, yeah. and you just naturally fit in with them and you um, you just make it just make you make it look very easy to acclimate uh-huh. them uh-huh. to the culture here at Talmage uh, what has what have you learned the most about yourself in this role over the past six years
1: well you know I think what have I learned about myself? Um, You know, I think it's something I've already always known is that, you know, the universal things, you know, when you accept the things that are similar about other people that are universal, it's a lot easier to learn from someone else, to teach someone else, to accept other people's, um, you know, styles of living. And Um, you know, but like looking at those, you know, we all, and this is psychological too, you know, what are the things, I think Freud talked about this, you know, like what are the things love, you know, I mean, feeling of belonging is important and then our basic needs, but, um, but we do all have a need to, um, communicate and have that universal experience. And so I think I always knew that I was kind of that way. I mean, I could talk to anybody and get along with anybody. I could be at a table, um, you know, with brilliant engineers and, you know, scientists and stuff. And I it's, it, I could still understand, you know, a lot of the conversation as long as it was kind of brought back to that. You know, I would find the universal in what they were talking about. Wow. And so it's just been enhanced since I've worked with the kids um, or with the students here um, because they have an innate curiosity or um, ability to adapt. It's amazing to me. And perhaps that's what I had to learn to do coming from a situation where I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. Mm-hmm. You know, I watched my parents adapt, you know, so adaptability is a strong thing that I think I see in my students and I must have in myself. Because I think you project to people, you know, sometimes what you have and, mm-hmm. they, they, and hopefully it's the positive stuff so they can project their positives back. Yeah. So if that makes sense, um, it's kind of a reciprocal learning experience. Yeah. But you have to be open to it. Sure. Just like just like my mom looking at the moon, you know, and saying seeing something about the moon that might be different or the student I was working with today. You know, if they if you see what's universal about that for everyone, you know, whether it's a moon or whether it's, you know, making a bushel basket lampshade or <laughs> yeah. or learning a language yeah. and coming to a country that's not yours. You know, it's it's just amazes me, um, and I think I kind of learned about myself that um, there were times when I felt like I was in a country that I didn't know because mm-hmm. I didn't know how to um, go to the next step in my life, you sure. know, without that model. Yeah. Um, which is no fault of my parents because they weren't modeled, you know. So I look at my students and I see how they have this adaptability, how even without models sometimes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) There's the bell, which if if you were to see us right now, we both about jumped out of our seats there for a second. I was just, um, well, so you're, you're talking about modeling that curiosity. And, you know, one of the things I appreciate so much about you is that you are incredibly reflective, like, you know, so I, I loved being part of that, you know, over the week, the past couple of weeks, you've yeah. been sending me information and saying, you know, I've kind of been reflecting on my past and, and here's where I'm at. And I'm just kind of putting this down, yeah. whether we want to talk about it or yeah. not, but well. it's just helping you kind of, um, put meaning to past experience. Yeah. And, um, and I, and I look at, uh, how you have picked this quality of adaptability and you're seeing how in your life you've been adaptable. And then you're seeing it in your students' yeah, lives.
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: Um, can you give us a few stories about a couple of you? You don't have to bring in any names, yeah. but maybe talk to our audience about the resiliency that you've seen in some of our kids. Because I've heard some of their stories, yeah. and I'm just blown mm-hmm. away. And you and you kind of alluded to it. You're like, sometimes you're wowed by yeah. the the adaptability that they show. What are some stories that come to mind?
1: Oh boy, I have like a hundred of them now. I'm on the spot; I have to think of them. Um,
0: Or even a common theme amongst the stories. A common
1: theme. um, Wow, what's a common theme? Hmm. This wasn't on your list of questions. (laughs) No. Was was, so? How about here? How about
0: you know, the other day during our professional development, you put on a uh, uh, you had a uh, a session, and it was great. I absolutely loved Uh it. And you had some, you had you know, six young ladies there from. That are, uh, Nepalese yeah. uh, and they started talking about their lives like for instance the poem behind us and the um, young lady who yeah. crafted that
1: Yeah, about it, her life in the refugee yeah. yeah tell us a
0: little bit about that what, what do you okay, know okay so
1: I think I just thought of something and it happened the other day we were sitting uh, about five or six students were sitting together and the thing I want that I try to teach teachers and, and anyone else who wants to listen as far as our students go because it's a learning process for everyone mm-hmm. and and um, that they're not all the same, that they come from very unique situations. And this, again, is where the adaptability and curiosity can come back into what we're talking about. Um, so I had about six or seven students sitting in this room, actually, and um, we were talking about uh, lifestyles. And um, one student was a ref- came from a refugee situation, and so her family is probably very much... Um, uh, like my family, when I was growing up, I mean, I wasn't a refugee, although my grandfather came from Ireland um, when he was a young boy. So we had some of that cultural kind of thing hanging over us, but uh, not a lot of money um, to trying to survive, mm-hmm. you know. And so this particular student, they, you know, she came here with nothing. Um, and so her family really is very happy about everything they have, everything. So she started to talk about um, how, when she looks at people that are also English learners, but maybe they have a, a big house, or um, you know, the parents are educated, because you know, you know, this particular student's parents um, uh, do not have college education. Um, And so she saw, she sees that, or she said that that was like another world. So we have all these English learners in a room, but each one of them is coming from a completely different situation. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they learn to appreciate where the other students are coming from. And sometimes they don't understand it. Um, you know I had two students from Syria about three or four years ago and they came over here with backpacks on the plane you know that's mm-hmm. the, that's all they had Wow. Um, and their house was destroyed um, and that student also wrote a poem in one of our teachers classes and about her life in Syria mm-hmm. and um, so it, the thing that's really amazing about them too is their resiliency and their ability to not take on what other people want to put on them, like yeah. you know, you're from a different country, you know, who are you, and or or pigeonholing them into categories yeah. that happens. Mm-hmm. And you know, to be fair to people who do that, you know, it's just a lack of knowledge about the situation, you sure. know, where these students come from.
0: Yeah, yeah, I um, it, it's their inability to find the universal.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: I, I, I I wrote <laughs> That's that exactly. in. all. All caps right here. Yeah, I absolutely love so. that. You know, we we come in with our kind of our perceptions and our uh, our way of thinking, yeah, and we, we aren't curious yeah. enough. Yeah. And so you're right. Our default mode is to try to pigeonhole people yeah. and say, hey, yeah. you've got to adapt. You've got to, you know, in history, yeah. it's the word, you know, assimilate. Uh-huh. You've got to assimilate. Yeah. Yeah. And by forcing that on some of these kids, we deprive ourselves of the gifts and the beauty to which they bring. Oh, you know? my gosh. I mean, I, uh,
1: it's incredible. Yeah. I mean, you were at the meeting uh, or at the uh, professional development yeah. and had, what, four or five of my students there. And um, I mean, you could sit and talk and listen to any one of those students for two hours, you know, yeah. and just some of the things that they've gone through and... Um, you know, first time on a plane. Can you imagine the first time on a plane is when you got a backpack and you've never been on one before yeah. and you don't even know where you're going and you get mm-hmm. off the plane and you don't know what's, where you're going to live? And, it's, um, and so their kindness, too, is amazing to yeah. me. Um, and, and they, they uh, give people the benefit of the doubt, even if they're treated poorly. And, um, and I think this is not uncommon in a lot of cultures across the, the world, but, um, they'll, people, even if they're not sure if you're their enemy, they'll feed you, (laughs) you know, they will have you come in and they'll feed Mm -hmm. you. They might kick you out later, but you know, the, the hospitality and the generosity of spirit Mm -hmm. is so amazing.
0: Yeah. I, yeah. I've noticed that because I, uh, there is a plate put in front of me every time they're making something. It's just, it's so true. And it's, incredible food, <laughs> yeah. you know, the, and they invite me in, yeah. you, you've invited me in, uh-huh. and they just make me feel, so I remember the first time that, that you invited me in for a meal. And I come in, I don't know any of those kids.
2: Okay, yeah. And
0: yet the, the young ladies up amongst the table, all they wanted to do is make sure that my plate was full <laughs> and they were talking to me. It's they so they grabbed my plate out of my hand. They're putting it's stuff on it. They're making sure, do you like hot or uh, not hot? You know, it was, it was as if we had known each other forever, yeah, you know, yeah, and it and brought that. tremendous joy. And going back to the PD session, I got to be honest with you, I was a very... Proud assistant principal sitting there listening to those young ladies, you know, teach and yeah. speak in front of adults. Yes. With uh, with teaching voices.
1: Y- yes. I mean, it was and, incredible. And honestly, we didn't really prep that much. I did try to give them a couple hours because they're going to get some community service yeah. for it. Um, but uh, that was, that was, that's who they are, you yeah. know, it was amazing. And again, some of those were from different situations, yeah. too. You know, one could be from a refugee, could be, you know, um, the situation where this family already here and they came over to stay with that yeah. family and that kind of thing. But, yeah.
0: so, so one of the reasons um, that I I invited you to be on the podcast uh, was because I was curious. Okay I was curious because I see what you do with our kids mm-hmm. um, and I see, uh, the rising uh, numbers in international kids yeah, coming just, here, and and yeah. it's something that I don't know much about, and I'm sure our listeners aren't familiar with. And you know what? The, the Nepalese population all around us, but in Talmadge is yeah. going up, and there's a lot of questions. There's yeah. a lot of people who just they're they don't know even where to begin to uh-huh. get those questions answered. So I reached. I, that's the reason I wanted to interview you and yeah. find out more about what you do here. Yeah. I thought it was interesting that I invited you, and we started talking about a date, mm-hmm. and then uh, Dr. Sheriff Kirkich was on here a couple episodes uh-huh. ago, oh, and yeah. he was he was a, a refugee from Bosnia. Yeah,
1: I think you were telling us that story about Yeah, the...
0: and so in sixth grade, he comes over from Bosnia not knowing any English, <laughs> yes. and he comes over to America and is yeah. dropped into middle school yeah. and told to figure it all out. One of the young ladies in your PD session said when they came over they knew no English and they just, they Uh arrived and had to survive.
1: I I think E.L. teachers are like an island, you know, it's like, (laughs) and, uh, and, and there's other people on the island. But you know, there's like a little safe corner on the island, or maybe we are just the island, and there's a mainland, you know. <laughs> but they have to come and visit us to, you know, find some security. And and if you think about what what other place where you are you more vulnerable than the, in the inability to speak
2: mm-hmm.
1: or to share your words. Yeah. You know, if you don't have that, I mean, they ha- they do have it in their native language, and as you saw from the professional development. Some have it in multiple languages. Mm-hmm. Some even yeah. have family languages yeah. f- based on their name, yeah. which is crazy. I mean, it's amazing. <clears throat> um, but um, So I think the EL um, teachers and um, tutors and people who work in this profession, uh, we do sort of become like like, like other teachers, though, too. Half con- we're part counselor, mm-hmm. we're teachers, we're, um, we have multiple roles. Um, but I think because they see you as sort of that island, like they came here and then there's, you know, there's so many other people helping them, of course, that have to help because yeah. the, the EL teacher can't do it by, by him or herself.
0: Yeah, I thought it was precious. <laughs> uh, the young ladies at our table were talking to us about, and then I think as a whole group we talked about how they would love to go down to Talmage Elementary yeah. and work with the kindergartners and first graders uh-huh. who are there. Yeah who are, are kind of lost. Yeah. They can't speak. Oh, we, we, have
1: we have 100 students at the elementary right now. They're active, 100. And oh. you saw how many um, uh, elementary teachers we had at the professional development. Yeah. On the, uh, were you even the first session or second session? I can't remember if it was. It was the first the session. The first session, yeah. Um, it was mostly elementary in that first session. Um, uh, so it, it's it, more and more they're getting, uh, you know, many students in the classroom. Mm-hmm. And they're all different levels, again, of, yeah. of understanding English. Yeah. So some well, are better than others. Well, you know,
0: when you look at the profession, the calling of teaching, right? Yeah. And, and I look at the qualities that you mentioned about so many of our kids, adaptability, you know, exercising, hospitality, yeah. uh, resiliency. Uh, those are our teachers. You yeah. know, the fact that so many of our elementary teachers showed up at that PD session exactly. shows that they want to yeah. learn. So I was they're adapting that. and yeah. they have a heart for these kids.
1: Yeah, they do. You know? Yeah, and, and it's it, it's kind of the they're kind of at a place of un unknown sure. sort of unknown. Um, although it's, they're becoming more you know accustomed to it because over the last six years since I've been here you know we have increased our population mm-hmm. and you know we have nine languages so yeah. ne- Nepali seems like you know maybe just it is the largest um, but we have Arabic we have some African languages we have um, Serbian um, let's see if I can't remember all of them we have a variety of sure. languages so,
0: so- Again, kind of going back to over my right shoulder so my listeners understand what I'm talking about. Um, uh, over my right shoulder, there is a beautiful poem over here called Finding Myself, and there's an audio clip to it that maybe maybe you'll allow me to, to kind of post yeah. in our show notes, but uh, you have been helping your students kind of express themselves by writing poetry.
1: Oh, yeah, that that comes up a lot, I think, like today, you know, with... She didn't write a poem, but she analyzed a poem. Yeah, I was yeah. a poet. Yeah, you know, Of course, I'm going to see the universal things and, you know, the moon and yeah. <laughs> adaptability and, and drama and a, a lakes full of ice and, you know, yeah. but, um, and that's kind of uh, the experience. Our students, you know, come here and, and it's um, so many different things. They never know what's going to happen yeah. in a day. Sure. So,
0: well, poetry is like you said; it is a universal uh, way of uh, expressing uh-huh. yourself, and um, you are a, a very good poet. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, so can you can you share? So, here's what's really interesting. Um, most people probably do not know that you are a published poet.
1: Yeah, I'm award. I've won some awards. Yeah. Some of my not just poetry, but nonfiction. And
0: nonfiction as yeah, well. Yeah. So. Talk to us a little bit about that. I want you. Can you please just brag about yourself a little bit here? All right. So uh,
1: you know, when I was looking at when I was listening to your podcast, and I heard a lot of the teachers talk about how they wanted to become teachers, and it was so inspiring, you know. And and I didn't I didn't know that that was going to be my role, but I always knew I was a writer. Mm -hmm. And second grade, I you know I I wrote a poem, and everybody bragged about it, and they put it out in the hallway, and I I was so like mortified, you know, that that they wanted to put it outside on the on the on the wall. Um, but um, so um, so I started writing poetry. I think you know at a very young age. And again, I mean English and um, getting a degree in English was one thing, but having any background like in writing and poetry, you know, what do you do with that? Um, but I don't. Th- I think it was more. Um, I was always writing, but mm. and I, I recognize that my students too, the writers, people yeah. who are going to be the writers. Mm-hmm. Um, But it wasn't until I was probably in my early 30s or so that I started to really um, publish and send things out. And the first poem that I ever had um, published or maybe it was like one of the first five or six poems, but published in a really good place. It was called South Coast Poetry Journal. Mm -hmm. And this is a funny story. This is a teacher story. Oh, I'm glad I'm I'm telling you this story because it's a teacher story. So I had this poem, and I was taking a poetry writing class, and, you know, I'm in my 30s. And um, I brought the poem into my uh, poetry professor, fabulous poetry professor, and he published a bunch of books and everything. And um, so he looked at my poem and he said, it needs more work. Okay, so I said, okay, so I did a little bit more work to it. And I sent it to this contest and, um, and I came in third out wow. of 1,800 people. Wow. I think it was 1,800. I don't want to say 18,000, but it probably wasn't. <laughs> it would was be a better story with <laughs> <it>. <laughs> But people don't, you know, usually it's anywhere from 1,000 to 3,000. Yeah. You're not getting 100,000 people yeah. sending poems in because this poetry is too different. And so the, the uh, judge was James Dickey, and, um, and he was actually a poet, but he's known more for his script writing, which was a movie with Burt Reynolds' deliverance. And the, my, the poem I did write was about a woman goes up to the top of the mountain and she delivers her baby. And so I think he probably liked some of the you know the, the owls and the mud in the mountains because <laughs> he was kind of all like, that yeah. was his thing. But, so, I brought, so I brought the poem back to my teacher. My professor, you know, and I'm not, like, in high school, and I won this award. I was even in the newspaper, you know, like, poetry student, you know, they called me a poetry student, but I was getting my master's, I think, in literature, Um, wins an award for James Dickey, da-da-da. So I bring it into my poetry professor, and I said, look, it came in third out of 1,800 people, or whatever, And, and he looked at it, and he read it again, and he said, but it didn't come in first. And so hmm. I remember thinking to myself, oh, what a thing to say, you know. what? And my idea about him as a teacher started to, like, you know, evaporate a little bit, how I was so, put him on a pedestal. But the more I thought about this, and I used to teach this story to my literature students, mm-hmm. th- over the years, the more I thought about it, he was right. Um, he was proud of me that I, that I placed third. But if I had worked a little harder maybe I would have placed first. And there's even more to that story is that if I hadn't believed in myself, I wouldn't have placed it all because I wouldn't have sent it out. So that was like a beginning of a development of knowing that I have this ability to write and Mm -hmm. um, publish and um, do that kind of thing. And then I kind of stretched my wings a little bit and went into nonfiction. Okay. And one of the first pieces I ever wrote for nonfiction also won a Writer's Digest, won a Writer's Digest award. And I had to write a piece about um, uh, uh, surgeries that went wrong. <laughs> okay, so I wrote about my mother, and um, yes, she was um, had an operation that was a botched operation. Oh gosh, back in the 70s. They accidentally took her bile ducts out, and um, huh. so you can't live without your bile ducts. So they life flighted her to uh, Boston. So the Cleveland Clinic uh, tried to save her life. It was she she was operated on in a small town, mm-hmm. and they, she went to Cleveland. But so um, they sent her to Boston, and um, they gave her artificial bile ducts.
0: Okay, wow.
1: And in the seventies, yes, and, and there were ten people in the world that ever had. Artificial bile ducts put in the thing about writing is you want to find things that like again universal like whoa What is yeah. this story? You know this could happen to anybody but ten people in the United States including Lord Anthony Eden from the um, Suez Canal treaty thing mm-hmm. he had some issues where there might have been some kind of surgery that was Messed up too, but wow. anyways, so I connected those I connected the universal story of a person from England who There's rumors that he also had a botch surgery and um, uh, so it saved her life, though. I mean, she died in um, 2018.
0: Wow! Um, but wow. she
1: lived that long with her uh, wow. the artificial um, biotics. But anyways, you know, I'm going in, into the story. But what happened was, I wrote this story, and then I, I won a Writer's Digest award because I was exposing, you know, what can happen during surgery, mm-hmm. and how my mother survived, you know, all those years because she'd already been surviving for like, you know. More than 40, 50 years by that time. So, oh. but, um,
0: so I have this, um, this poem, um, Failure to Bloom. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed that. You have another one here called Lake Erie, A Daughter of Sorrows. Mm-hmm. Um, the Failure to Bloom. Can you give us just a quick... Background yeah. on that. I mean, what was the inspiration um, behind that poem? We
1: had uh, we lived in a hundred plus year old house, and we had uh, so many gardens in our backyard. You know, like the old fashioned. You know how people used to always have rose gardens, yeah. and, and so my mother took really good care of our um, plants or our, our rose bushes, and we had lilacs and you name it. It was it was like amazing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So um, we had peonies mm-hmm. and. We also had trouble with ants on the peonies and um, beetles, I think Japanese beetles on the on roses. So it was our job to go out <laughs> <laughs> with jars because <laughs> this was before all the pesticides that we yeah, have now yeah. and pick the Japanese beetles off the roses and the um, that was I think they were I don't, they weren't flies on the peonies so. Um, but it was, the insects were killing the sure. flowers. Yeah. So um, failure to bloom, uh, the irony of, of what happens with the peonies, which is in the poem, is that the insect actually, kind of like uh, what happens with bees, you know, and honey, mm-hmm. but the insects for the peonies must go, and it, it would help, it, you don't want to get pesticides on those flowers. You actually, they were, the insects are actually helpful. Okay. And so I didn't know that. And, um, and I used to grumble that we used to have to, like, save <clears throat> these plants, you know. And it was a boring job. Mm-hmm. And we picked them with our fingers right off of the p- plants. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, so I think I realized that um, everyone has a chance to bloom. Sure, yeah. You know, and it just depends on how they look at it. Yeah. And, and going back to my students, I think that's part of their lives, you know, is finding how are they going to bloom. And so they use the tools that they have, mm-hmm. you know, in our case, saving the flowers was like, yeah, doing that.
0: Yeah, well, and it's, and it's interesting, you know, when you talk about that, um, you, uh, you t- if I had known that peony and ant live in harmony, attracted to the sweet scented nectar st- stem, consuming its lushness without damage, I would have stopped grumbling. Yeah. And, uh, that, that part really jumped. That sounds
1: really good. I wrote that.
0: (laughs) You wrote that. You wrote that. It was really good. And and I I gotta be honest with you. I, uh, you know, I thought about it from my, my, uh, perspective as, you know, here, um, in my role, but educators in general, right. We are no matter who the, the the population, whoever we're dealing with, right. We are tasked with kind of, Protecting them and kind of oh, picking yeah. off the things that exactly. that that could harm them, helping right? Them bloom. And helping them bloom. Yeah. But so often, what we do is we start to complain about that. It's so true. And we allow the negative to set in yeah. instead of seeing the good. Yeah. And I had a, com- a wonderful, a beautiful conversation with um, some fellow administrators this morning where we talked about how, and one in particular shared with, you know, with us, how you have to be so intentional about seeing the good. You do. You know, we are doing so you much do, good here. Yeah. What you're doing yeah. with your students is so good. I mean, it's, it's changing lives on a daily basis. And I think a lot of times people, um, they forget that good is all around us.
1: Exactly.
0: Take some time and, to see it, to not yeah. grumble, and, and to kind of embrace yeah, their it, growth.
1: I, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's really good that you picked that out in, from that poem, because I... Um, I, I, you know uh, there's flowers around us in that room, yeah. you know and it's beautiful and it smells wonderful and, but we have a task and so um, I think a lot of teachers and myself included um, we want an answer like we want to figure that answer out right now so mm-hmm. if a student's having a problem let's see, let's see what kind of answer can we find right now yeah And what I've learned in this profession that I'm in now is that answer is accumulative. Okay, it's not going to happen. Usually, it's not going to happen right away. It's going to be like little things that start to accumulate until all of a sudden it it comes forth. Yeah. And and so that's kind of like we're sort of fixing the collateral damage of people's lives a lot, you know, Mm -hmm. because everyone comes from a situation, different situations that have their own struggles. Yeah whether they're from another country or whether, you know, there's illness in the family or poverty or um,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, expectations. They can have everything going for them, but their the expectations are so high that that can cause problems with students too. So we're always fixing things, and I mm-hmm. think we are. I mean, trying to, but when we, when, we, when, we go, when we sit back and allow things to come forth as they should, like the flowers in the poem, you know, oh. or my students cooking and yeah. showing who they are. Um, it's easy. Yeah. It's, but it's, it's just you have to let it go. got
0: to be intentional. It's you have to be intentional. Exactly. And you got to just let it go and realize yeah. the 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 15 minutes or one hour that you're sacrificing here is going to bloom into something that will last a lifetime yeah. for them and for others, yeah. right? I would have never, ever... Thought of eating Nepalese food had not. You invited me, <laughs> yeah. and they put the plate. And now it's like, it has exposed me to something that I'm so incredibly yeah. curious about. So, yeah. what what I'd like to do. I mean, this has been a great conversation. Yeah. I've, I, I'm I'm just I love I love hearing your stories, yeah. and I and I love I love your work. And I'm going to make sure that there's lots of hyperlinks in the notes so that other people can uh, read this gift that you have. Uh, but I'm going to give you 60 to 90 seconds. Okay as our, our, our EL teacher to inform our listeners of anything that's on your heart that you would like them to know about EL and the students that we've been blessed with.
1: Oh, okay, I'm gonna be symbolic, Chris, cause I have to, cause I mean, I am a teacher, but symbolism comes to me quicker. Um, I, I think it's not just English learners, but all students and, and all people, we all are walking around with a world inside of us.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And that world is made up of so many parts and pieces. And, and um, just like any relationship, you, you, you can't discover who your students are or who that person, you know, that's your friend, or um, like immediately. And so I think sometimes we jump too fast to try to, to make ass- assumptions about people and that patience is really important and and if, if there's if there's anyone else in the world that you know, I mean of the english learner kids i work with the students their patience um, is amazing it's just immense um, and so everyone who walks around with these worlds they have different kinds of worlds and so like when we tap into like you having the food for the first time um, seeing pictures of where some of our students lived like as refugees, Mm -hmm. Um, some other families who are very successful, they come here and they open up a restaurant. But they have the worlds where they came from, too. Things have happened to them. And, of course, we're never going to find out the whole story. But what's so beautiful about, like, even poetry and writing and the teachers teaching kids how to express themselves is that little piece of a world is is almost enough for that day Mm -hmm. you know and then the next day it'll just be another piece sure till they will bloom and they will find their way but I think I would say that we have to be patient with what's in front of us right now Mm -hmm. and then just wait for that next step Um, that there is not 100% answer at this minute Um, but you try to seek it and then you try to seek it again and little Mm. bits and pieces and it um uh, kind of comes together. Um, I'm a collage artist, uh, um, but we want you know we're getting toward the end. But I think that's something I also learned from my mother is like putting things together. Yeah, you know, I made things out of pianos. You know, I've made creations out of out of odd things. Um, and isn't that what our world and our lives are really like anyways? A creation mm-hmm. of things that have been presented to us.
0: Hmm. It it really is a creation of things
1: that have been presented to us. Yeah. Dude, I'm, I should write a poem on that. Well, <laughs> you, you should. Unless you want to steal
0: it from me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm writing it down right now because I think it, I I agree. I think it, I think it's beautiful. It's a creation of the things that are presented to us, and and I think um, I think for me personally, that's what I've learned from you and, and your students uh, over this past year, is that um, that you you've helped me find the universal, and I and I can't think of a better way, to kind of challenge our listeners, um, that after this episode that they walk around and that they look at people differently, that they find the universals, that there, there are things that unite us, way more things that unite us than divide us. And we need to find those universals and then we need to appreciate and recognize, uh, the gifts that people have. Um, And
1: and we don't have to agree with everything that is coming towards us, but, um, but we can have more in common, like you said, yeah. you know, than we know. Um, and you know, and I don't have all the answers either. I mean, I would like to be able to spread what I'm s- receiving as a teacher and what I'm giving to my students, hopefully, mm-hmm. you know, in a, in a positive way as much as possible to other, to yeah. th- to larger groups. Sure, but it's organic. Mm-hmm. It's not something I think is something that happens on its. N- you have to nudge it a little bit, but you have to be careful that you don't. Push, push it forward too much sure. without that natural growth pattern yeah. that can happen from wanting to learn. Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, I, I hope that this episode uh, is a little bit more of that nudge, not only for those who are in the schools, but those outside the school, yeah. our listeners and whomever this may be shared with, kind of a nudge towards uh, changing perspective mm-hmm. and finding the universal and, and appreciating uh, the people that live around us. And, um, you know, the one thing that you, uh, that, that continues to resonate with me that you're sharing is that, you know, you, you've taken the why of what this this podcast is about and you've exemplified it, right? Every person has a story yeah. that's worth being and told.
1: And to you that you're sharing those stories, you know, I mean, because it did make me sit and think about, uh, things in my life and things and how I affect other people, and so every teacher that you've interviewed, um, you know, has brought forth you know the 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 challenges and the things they love, mm-hmm. and then so having somebody like you to interview is real helpful too.
0: Well, it's, uh, it, is an, it truly is an honor to share people's stories, and it has been an honor to have you on the podcast. Well,
1: thank you for inviting me. It was yeah. a pleasure.
0: Yeah, and, um, and I am going to encourage our listeners to make sure that they click on some of the links and check out... Okay some of your work. Listeners, I know it's been an hour. I appreciate your time. Again, I know I sign off on every episode saying, hey, I might, we could just go another hour. Well, you can edit it <laughs> yeah, now, but you uh, like. We do no editing. It's oh, a straight shot. So, oh, okay. so if they want to yeah. listen to it, they're going to get an hour. Yeah. So listeners, okay. thank you for tuning in. Uh, be sure to subscribe so that you don't, you don't miss any upcoming episodes. And if you've got some time Please rate and review the podcast. That's how we can continue to get this message of uh, and these incredible stories out to other people. So, hey, have a most awesome day.